today's word, uh, words come from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 39 to 49. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we, be, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differ from, differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the natural and then the spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also, those, also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is Word of God. We are in part 11 of this series, Most Deeply Human. And then I was thinking today, this is why you're not supposed to do a big time series in the middle of the summer. Um, you know, we have various people who are away on vacation. Um, this is part 11 in this series. But in a way, it's kind of like a little series inside of the series. The last three weeks, um, one after the other, we have talked about what it means to be in the works of the flesh versus to be living in the fruit of the Spirit. And we've talked about, last week, we particularly talked about mortify the flesh. You should want to crucify the, the flesh along with Christ. Agree with God that this old humanity that's in you, which the Bible says this is of the first Adam. This is of the old Adam and not of like the last Adam, which is Christ. That we should crucify that and then to live inside of the new Adam is to be of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. And to be inside the Holy Spirit is to seek and long for the fruit of the Spirit, which is holiness. That's what we're talking about. It's like, if you're not used to some of this language, it's a little, it could sound a little blah blah-ish, I know. But what, what we're trying to do in these, in, this, in these words is I'm really trying to upend and reshape your whole understanding of what it means to be human according to the gospel, according to the hope of the gospel. And particularly these last three sermons plus today's message is kind of its its own little like four-part series. And I, I, would, I hope that if any of you were confused or had like lack of clarity, you'd want to come back. I want these, these four sermons to kind of live on in our church. And so any of your friends who are away on vacation, you just look around. You're like, oh, they weren't here today. Uh, please urge them to go on the YouTube or whatever and hear today's sermon so we can get all four, okay? So let's get into it. Um, today's message is called Holiness and Eternal Humanity. And part one, 
the drama of images in our humanity. As you can see, these texts are the exact same texts as last week. But I want to make and kind of like um, um, uh, help you, you know, illuminate some different parts that we didn't talk about last week, okay? The drama of images in our humanity. That's part one. Part two, desiring the Holy Spirit and the heavenly humanity. All right? That's part two. Desiring the Holy Spirit and the heavenly humanity. And part three, holy loving in the resurrection life is most fully human. All right? Like I told you, I want to redefine what you think is human. According to the Bible, it's holiness. Holy loving in the resurrection life is most fully human. All right, that's part three. Okay? I want to read um, this, uh, this, this, this last portion. So let's, I want us to put our focus on this last portion. This 1 Corinthians 15 passage is kind of the, one of the, is the most, is the longest and, and, and um, most involved passage in the Bible on the nature of the resurrection. So when I was younger, the resurrection just meant Jesus died and then he was risen and like that's it. Like it was like a one-time only event. He did it. Nobody else does it. But I didn't really have the proper theology. Nobody ever really taught me that resurrection, what he went through, that he died on the cross, that's going to be our journey too. That if you give your life to Jesus, you surrender and you have your faith in Jesus, something mysterious occurs where your old humanity dies on the cross with Jesus, and then he's going to put the power of his new resurrection humanity in you, and you're going to start to live out just this whole new way of life, and it's not, you're not waiting for it till after you die. Now, obviously, the full fullness of this is like you're after you die, and then, you know, history is all complete. But this is the really weirdly mysterious promise inside the Bible, which is the power of the resurrection life in Christ is yours now. And you know how it starts? By faith. That's how it starts. So faith isn't just something like, I believe in Jesus, I get forgiven of my sins, I die, and then I get to the right place, in the meantime, I'm just going to kind of muddle along and just try to hopefully make some money and get some girl to like me and hopefully have a decently good life. That's how so many Christians think of it. It's a, it's a very weak and not compelling vision of the gospel, if you ask me, and very incomplete. What the gospel is promising is that the, this powerful life of the resurrection, you can begin it now if you will walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to this last few verses. And I want to give you, in the last couple of weeks, one of the keys I just said was, how do you walk with the Holy Spirit? One is, it's, it's, it comes down to your desires. If you will only desire the, the fleshly, worldly goods, that's what's going to make your life good. Then, and then you're not really desiring what the Holy Spirit wants to offer you, the really beautiful fruit of the Spirit, then you're going to be, always be stuck in the old Adam life. And you're not, your life isn't going to have this incredible joy where you have an unstoppable love that always has, has joy. You, you can't have that kind of life because your heart is always hoping for the kind of less than, you know, the less than beautiful. It's, it's good, but like, you know, it's second, third, fifth class, something kind of only pathetic that the world can offer you, you're really in the flesh. But I want to offer you kind of a second pathway that the Bible offers for how to move to the Spirit-filled life, okay? It's not just, will you desire what the Holy Spirit is? It's, it, it, the key is in these last few verses. So let's get into it. Like verse 47. Verse 47, it says this. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. That's Adam. You and I, we're all just like that, okay? We're just like the first man, Man of dust, woman of dust, you know, like, we won't be sexist here, okay? Same difference, okay? The second man is from heaven. So you can actually have something of the second man, which is heavenly. 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, 
so also are those who are of heaven. See? See, there's this Jesus person. He's a new kind of humanity. He's a new kind of Adam. And he's of heaven. And if you are of like him, you can be like that. Not in the future, now. And here's the verse I want us to uh, uh, chew on a little bit in this, past, in this portion, which I'm going to call the drama of images in our humanity. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's how you and I are. Everybody, you and I are living inside the image of Adam. Okay? That's, there's, we don't know any other way to do it. So the flesh, I told you, is human nature with no God in it. No Holy Spirit, no gospel, no God's presence, no God's power, no God's promises, no God's truth. All right? And so in the flesh, this is all we have. We have the image of the man of dust and all our hopes and all our powers, all our righteousness, all our wisdom, it's only in that. All right? But if, we have, if, you bear, if you have Christ, you can bear the image of of the man of heaven. So let's talk a little bit about this. Unbelievably, this is like that one verse, it's unbelievably deep theologies in that verse. It's like, if you know the Bible, it echoes this whole idea that human beings are made in the image of God and that we're fallen. But here, this is interesting, Adam is made in the image of God, but now he's saying something else. If we are made, and if, the only, if you're of the flesh and you don't have Christ, then all you really have is you have the image of Adam, and that's the only one that you're living inside of. But if you have Jesus, you actually have a choice. And this choice is really important. And you and I, if you really believe in Jesus, you must continuously make this choice. And when you continuously make this choice, you know what you're doing? You're activating faith in the gospel. That's what you're doing. This particular promise of the gospel Okay, so far, like, okay, there's a lot of blah, blah, pastor. Let me see if I can try to make this come to life a bit. The whole idea of an image is so deep and profound that do you know that for you to be a human being, you have, there is, like, you're always reflecting something else. You have some picture of what you're supposed to be inside your mind. And then who you are, you want, you're, you're like, embracing that image. So this whole series started with a discussion of identity. And I want to kind of return to that issue right now. Because whatever image is in your mind, that connects to what you think your identity is. So if you don't believe in Jesus today and you're listening to this message, you think, oh, this is Christianity stuff. It's just a bunch of, like, useless religion. Uh, wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you something about how you operate. Not just how you operate, how everybody operates. So just let me um, try to illustrate it with this, with this story, okay? So when I was uh, 21 years old, I spent a summer um, at Yosemite National Park in doing Christian ministry in the National Park. So what it happens is college students and seminary students all around the country gather and work in certain national parks, and then they run worship services, and then they try to share the gospel with their coworkers and people in the national park. I was assigned to Yosemite. We had a wonderful team that year. And so we had all these like young people from all around the country. And I became friends and close to a number of them. We had a fantastic team. It was, we had so much love and unity. It was unbelievable, all right? Just people I, I, I barely knew. And then like over the course of a summer, we became this family. Now there were these two sisters on the team one was named Janine, and the other one was named Julie. Janine was from Pennsylvania, and Julie was from Mississippi. And they met each other on this team, and they became like best buds, like sisters, inseparable. Like they, they, like they, after they hit it off with each other, they chose each other as roommates. They rearranged it so they could work at the same place. I mean, like they basically woke up, hung out with each other, like all the time. And they totally loved each other, wonderful sisters. Now, why am I telling you this? So, Janine 
was selected by the team leader to be like the part, my partner and to lead services at, at this one particular area called Lower, Lower River, okay? And so I especially got to know Janine. And to this day, I'm good friends with her. But um, I would hang out with Janine and Julie, and they were hilarious, okay? Uh, just hanging out with them was really hilarious. But let me tell you a little, uh, an important detail, which relates to this whole question of image. So Janine, I was like 21, and Janine is 20. Julie's probably 21. I think she's the same age as me. And let me give you a little description of Janine. Janine had curves, okay? She had curves. She, she kind of came from, she called herself like, I'm, I'm, I come from like, you know, darker skin, sweet, I don't really know what that means, but like she didn't have like this light blonde hair, like Swedish stock. And she would say, I have these truck hips. I was like, you know, born to like pop out babies. And when she said that, I just started cracking up. I was like, I can't believe you just said that about yourself. <laughs> That's really funny, right? But that was her, that was, that was her body shape, okay? Um, and Julie, Julie was slim. <laughs> Julie was slim. She had like, you know, you, you, you every now and then know these people who can put away like a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream and not gain a pound, <laughs> okay? Julie was like that. And both, both these sisters are white, you know? And um, that's what she was like. Now, if you talk to Janine, she would say, I always wanted to be like that. She would point to Julie's body and say, that's what I wanted. And you know, it was a really painful thing because when I met Janine, she was coming into a place of healing and repentance because she had wrestled with anorexia and bulimia for a number of years. So she had become anorexic. She had made herself crazy skinny because this was the image inside her mind of who she is and what she's supposed to be. And she had tremendous determination and discipline, and she succeeded. At one point, this, 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 this young lady who's like about five foot four, maybe five foot five, she got herself down to like 86 pounds. And she went to the doctor's office, got on the scales. Her doctor showed her the 86 pounds and looked at her and said, that's disgusting. <laughs> There's no way you should be 86 pounds. And so that led her to a whole journey that made, I mean, she grew up in a Christian family, and she started to take her faith more seriously, and she started to repent of this. The real irony is, if you turn to Julie, <laughs> Julie would go, I always wanted to be like that. And she would point to Janine. <laughs> and she was like, I always wanted more, you know, up here and like more down here. And I always wanted more. <laughs> That's the way she put it. Uh, I, and when she said that, I just started laughing so hard. Now, why am I telling you this? You're just like them. <laughs> All of us are Janine and Julie. Every single one of you. You're all like this. You have this image in your mind of some human, some, you know, you, you bear, you have borne the image of the first Adam, of the man of dust. Everybody wakes up with the image of the man of dust. It's inside of you. And then what you do is in your own self, you choose, because, you know, we're so free, and you're like, we think we, 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 like, we don't need God. We know what our identity is. You choose your identity. And you know what, how, what it looks like? It's got an image in your mind. This is who I am. And it's going to set me on a, a course of what my identity and that image is going to direct you and demand of you what your future destiny should look like. And for some of you, it may demand that you weigh 86 pounds, even though you're five foot four. <laughs> See? That's what it's like. As was, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, this is what it looks like. And in this time, you know, today we think 
we don't need God. God is, you know, like in the Bible, the word is the flesh. The flesh is secularity. Secular just means the world, no God. There's no heaven. There's no Bible. There's no grace. There's no eternal life. There's no forgiveness from like somebody above. There's just us. That's all you got. And we think that when we get rid of God like this, now we're free and now nobody can tell me who I am and I get to decide my own identity and then my own destiny. Identity and destiny. I I said this to you early in the series. Identity is the hook of destiny. Whatever identity you have is also you're being hooked into a certain destiny, whether you know it or not. And you know what it looks like? It's an image inside of you. And today it's getting tremendously inhuman. So like that's what that was going on with Janine. God gave her curves. Except the image inside of her, the Adam image, was oppressive and demanding. And she dema- and it was demanding her a kind of like crushing her humanity inside of her. And today, this is what we consider like normal life. This is, this is, the, this is the way our, li- our, our culture works. Except it's even more intense. We have young boys today who have the image inside of their mind is, I'm a girl. And so they actually have a plan to, I'm going to go under the surgical knife and certain parts of me are going to be cut off and then it's like certain new parts are going to be made so that I can conform to the image of the atom inside of me. And that's how it is. That's how it is. And if you think about this, it's inhuman because you have this person inside of you saying, I can choose this image, and this image, I can define myself, and I can make myself this. It is a grasp after godhood. That's what it is. I am God of my life. Nobody says it that way, but that's, that's what it is. That's basically, saying, I'm the Lord of my life. I'm the Savior of my life. I'm the definer of my life. I can give myself the, only, the image I want, and then I can fulfill it. And boy, it is a curse. It is a curse. And our friends and our neighbors all around said, maybe some of you here listening, you are suffering just as this dear sister in Christ, Janine, suffered as she lived in the image of the first Adam that was in her mind. This is what it's like. But here's the great promise. The promise is, you can live according to the heavenly man. Just as we, have, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You get to have the heavenly humanity, real humanity. Not an anti-human, like false delusional vision of yourself like a God crushing and destroying yourself. So you want to know why so many people today, why they are angry or depressed, or addicted, or some version of all of the above, because they're living inside of the image of an anti-human human, the man of Adam, because of this oppressive image inside. See, like on the outside, you know, you got arms, and you got legs, and you talk, and we all look human on the outside. But on the inside, what is the drama that's going on? That's the question I want to ask you. Is the drama of the image inside of you, are you only embracing the image of Adam? Whatever your version is. Because there's far more like, um, uh, you know, there's like respectable versions. So, you know, this is like a majority Asian church. In a lot of Asian Christian circles. If you have a 14-year-old who says, and, you, know, it's a, it's a, you know, she's a girl, and she decides, I'm gender fluid. I may become a boy someday. What will happen inside the church is people will flip out. Mom and dad will flip out. Everybody flips out. But if you have a young woman or a young man who decides, you know, like they have this image and they meet somebody. So like I'll give you a a different example. I had a friend. So for 
you know, I hope this doesn't sound like a boast. One of my, I, I went to Stanford University. And I had a friend at Stanford University. She was Mexican-American. She came from this tiny little town in the middle of Illinois. It's really weird. The name of the town, I'm, I'm not making this up, is Harvard, Illinois. So she's from Harvard, but she went to Stanford, okay? So she's from Harvard, Illinois, this total little podunk town in the middle of Illinois, and she went to Stanford. Until she went to Stanford, she told me she had literally never met an Asian in, in, her, in, in person in her life. I was like, whoa, okay, when she told me that. And when she came to Stanford, she met, she met a young woman who was about a few years older than her. And she had also gone to Stanford, and then she had studied really hard, and then she got into a top medical school. And this, this young woman was also Mexican-American. And this friend of mine, you know what she told me? She said, I want to be like her. I want that. That's going to be my life. And you know our friend? She studied Friday night. She studied Saturday morning. She studied Saturday night. It was crazy. She studied Sunday morning. I would like barely get her to be able to go to church. She studied. Basically, she woke up and studied. She ate, and then she studied. We could like get her to play a little bit, and then she would study. Why? Because her image was this. And you know what? When, she, when I met and got to know her, I was like, Dude, she's like more Asian than the Asians. See? That's what the Adam humanity looks like. So the pathway out of that is you must throw away the Adam image inside of you that you think is so great. You must embrace the image of Christ who will shape you to be in his image. And if you will embrace, you will crucify that old image and put the image of Christ in your heart, in your mind, now you will become more human. Let's go to part two. Desiring the Holy Spirit and the heavenly humanity. This is just, I, I, I just want to just say this briefly, okay? Verse 45 I want to just kind of, it's a kind of a recap of something I said last week, and it's just so important to say it again. Verse 45. It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That means we're breathing. That's what it means. Okay? The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. You know how you become a life-giving spirit? Because the Holy Spirit indwells you and fills you with the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. <laughs> That's how you become a life-giving spirit. So it's, it's kind of like a dual work. One is Jesus is the heavenly man and the Holy Spirit is life-giving coming from him. And the Holy Spirit gives you and me life. You know what kind of life? His life. But then, when the Holy Spirit, now you, have the image of the heavenly man in you, the resurrection man, because this whole chapter is a description of the resurrected Christ. He's already conquered sin and death. Death, sin, temptation, it doesn't touch him. He's, he's completely sovereign and has power over it. And now, love with joy, with peace, pure holiness is Jesus's, and he can never lose it. That's what the resurrected heavenly man is. That's Jesus. It's the complete, full humanity that God intended when he created us. So, Jesus, the heavenly man, gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is life-giving spirit to us. So then we receive the Holy Spirit, and then we agree with the Holy Spirit Give me the fruit of the Spirit, love with joy, love with peace, unending. A love that's unbreakable with absolute joy, unending. You can't break my joy to love. You can't ever get me to love and not have joy in it, even if I'm sad in it at times. It can't be broken. 
So then we have that because that's, that's the heavenly man. That's the image of the heavenly man. The Holy Spirit gives that to us. And then when we agree with the Holy Spirit and then you step with the Holy Spirit, you, I want this. I want the holiness, Jesus. I want Holy Spirit. Put, give it to me and get me to do this. So then you know what you do? You agree with the Holy Spirit and you kill the old image. That's what you do. You will say, okay, I'm not going to do the Janine Julie thing. I'm not going to do the, the thing that, that you, know, Su, you know, Pastor Susan's friend wanted, like this respectable form of bourgeois idolatry image. You see what I'm saying? She was like more Asian than, than the Asians. And go off to the top medical school. And act, nobody, like, well, that's all good. That's all fine. But actually... If you make that the bottom of your identity and the full definition of your humanity, you're in the flesh and you're going to destroy yourself. <laughs> Even though everybody thinks it's good. But now, if we agree with the Holy Spirit and we will step with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will now form you into the image, make you more and more today like Jesus. And then as you go love people with an unbreakable love, you know what's coming out of you? Life-giving spirit. We go out into the world, and the Holy Spirit comes off us, and we are giving people life-giving spirit. And let me say this. So this is really, really, I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is the number one gift of the church. This is what the church does. Only the church can do this. Only the church gathers all these people who are now a new kind of Adam, a new, of, the, of the new Adam, of the heavenly man, of the new true humanity. Not a humanity that's destroying our humanity from the inside through the image, but now we're going to be the true human, the eternal human, where we're going to have an unbreakable love and joy forever, just like the resurrected Jesus. So then when you gather all those people together, and then they do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility that doesn't break, generosity that doesn't break. We do that with each other, to each other, for, for Christ, and then we start giving that to our neighbors. People are like, what is that? What the heck is that? That's how we'll win the world, even if they hate us. That's what the church does. And let me say this to you. Some of you, so I, I don't want to get a little overly mean about this, but let me just say this. Some of you have a habit of only coming to church two times a month, once every four weeks. It's kind of like, you know, Susan's going to go on, oh, okay, you know, like church, whatever it is. Listening to your pastor is not the most important thing that happens at church. Not even close. The quality of the sermon or how well you enjoy the song or like, you're like, you can, you're like having fun with your friends at church. That is not, if you're going to church, you are looking at church in such a fleshly, shallow, human-concentric kind of fashion. In a very secular, you're like looking for the secular benefits of church. Not the heavenly gift of church. What church offers is the life-giving spirit what, what, what the preacher and the songs and everything is doing is saying, here is the image of the heavenly man. It's yours. Here is Christ. He was crucified, but now he has conquered it. And now that's yours. So take this image into your mind. Cherish it. And then every time you feel discouraged and you just want to get like, become like a Pharisee and go like, okay, I'm just going to try harder to be like a better Christian with all my power and my might. Because that's Phariseeism, okay? That's just legalism. You say, no. I have the image of the resurrected heavenly man, Jesus. And I'm going to fix my eyes on that. And the Holy Spirit will be like, right on! <laughs> now you're talking. Now you have faith. And the Holy Spirit will encourage you and walk with you. And then when you go to church, and then when other people are doing that with you, you will live. That's what it will be like. You will have life-giving spirit coming into you, and the life-giving spirit will come out of you. 
And then the church will have life-giving spirit, not dead, dying, breathing, barely breathing, angry, addicted, Adam-like human beings that are destroying their own humanity from the inside out. That's what God is offering us. So the promise of holiness is this. The drama of church is this. And, and if you want to know why I love church, church is hard to do. Some of you guys aren't a picnic to lead. Just letting you know. Okay? Even though I love you all. Okay? But it's all, this is worth it. And some of you are changing in glorious ways. Like who you are now versus who you are two years ago. or five, it, It's unbelievable to me. Because the heavenly image of the resurrection man is growing in you as you continue to believe the gospel. Let's go to part three. I want to close my message <clears throat> by pointing you toward the resurrection. So many churches, we look at the cross, and, and rightly so, and we look at how the cross points to how Jesus suffered and bled and forgave us. Absolutely, of course, that's needed. Okay? But we have a really thin, thin vision of the glory of the resurrection. And what I want you, I hope that you're getting in this series, especially in these last, you know, this fourth of these last, you know, these fourth little minis, what I'm trying to get at is the glory. I told you in a, in a previous sermon that when all the nations will stand before Jesus, they're going to bring all their crowns and then they're going to lay, they're going to come before Jesus and throw their crowns down and say, holy, holy, holy. That's what they're going to say. That the holiness of God through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus stands, you know what? He's not just God. He's the God-man. He is the heavenly man sitting up there on his throne at the right hand of the Father. And all the nations will bow down to the holy, holy, holy. That's the gift that God intends for us. And every other crown and every other glory is nothing. It is but junk and nothing compared to this. And this whole series, as I'm just trying to please persuade you to begin a journey to throw away the old image and to desire holiness. And then what you're saying is to give you a vision of your resurrection self and to live in that now. So I want to I want to take you back to the resurrection, and I want to take you back to I want to take you back to the passage that started our series. So you can see this. You can see like 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Galatians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 15. You know, when I was a younger person, I would have never seen that those texts are connected. Really, first what I'm going to read to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, Galatians chapter 5, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, and in 1 Corinthians, they're all saying the same thing. And they're offering you this incredible thing through the resurrection. So let me read this, and then I'm going to, re I'm going to read something that, that is a, a glorious passage from a lecture that was shared with me recently, and then we'll close, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See it? Might as well be 1 Corinthians 15. How do you have a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are born again for that. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You know what that is? Holiness. It's yours. A love that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. A joy with the love that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You ask God, can, can we get more money? Can, we, can, can I get a better promotion? Can I get in that better college? Can that girlfriend be like a little prettier or something? But her prettiness is going to fade. Your money in the long term is going to, like in heaven, money is worthless. And I don't know if you know this, a lot of you guys are young, but when you grow older, you're going to find out that money is not worth much. I know that sounds crazy to say. I always think about this valley, how these people who have $100 million, the goal is to have another $100 million. But billion dollars, we're going to have another billion dollars. Gosh, get, come on. <laughs> so the next billion dollars, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Except boast? If you think like that, let me tell you, you are such a loser. You have just this image. Like, I want to be a rich man. This guy's a rich man. I'm going to be this rich man. And this, I'm going to be like Larry Ellison. <laughs> so I have to be like Larry Ellison. And then since Larry Ellison is always looking for the next billion dollars. I'm going to be like, see? See it? It's Loserville, right? So money, after you get a certain amount of money, let me tell you something. There's just a lot of like, like there's no returning, you know, d diminishing returns. That's what they call it. Which means every extra dollar after that doesn't really matter. It'll give you no extra joy, no extra goodness. Okay? But a joy which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading forever. See? Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hopes fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me say, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Don't get your hope half-heartedly, kind of in that cheap religious way. Set your hope fully on what the grace that Jesus wants to give you. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Disordered desires. Remember, that word passion is always a bad, it's a bad term. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It's God's will. And it's not some kind of piece of pressure. It's the biggest thing he could give you. There's nothing greater he could give you. Now, I want to close with this passage. I love it when God does this for me. I didn't know how I was going to end this sermon. I was like, i got to tell more than what I got. I don't have more than this. Um, but uh, my dear friend, J.P. Samuel, sent me a, a, a paper. <laughs> and I, I read just the first couple pages, and this thing is awesome. <laughs> So, the paper is called The Scandal of Jesus, Christ in a Pluralist World. It was written by Vinod, Vinod Ramachandra. I, I, I don't even know how to say his name. He apparently is Sri Lankan. He's a physicist who has his PhD from Cambridge. <laughs> Obviously, he's a Christian. And he gave this lecture in Norway. So, this was given in Norway in 2005. 12-page lecture. And I'm going to read just a couple paragraphs for you. And this thing is awesome. Okay? Like brown skin brother from Sri Lanka said this. Okay? Here's what he says. The story of the cross subverts the stories of salvation that we find in the world religions. All these stories especially the dominant schools of the traditional Asian religions, offers us liberation. So all the world's religions say you can be liberated if you follow our religion. By the way, it's completely true of the secular religion of today too. 
It's understood as freedom from the shackles of our humanness. So you have this humanness inside of you. So in, in my friend Janine's case, she didn't like her curves. That was her humanness. She wouldn't be skinny like Julie. You turn to Julie, and she's like, well, the shackles of my humanness is I'm skinny. And like, you know, like, what, how great is it to be able to eat haagen and not gain a pound? I'd rather be like her. See? The shackles of our humanness. You and I, you all have some version of it. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was taller. I wish I was a girl, even though I'm a boy. I wish I could get in that awesome university. Whatever it is. I wish a perfect skin. Whatever it is. That's the image of the Adam. And it's some limitation of your humanity that you don't like. The way to ultimate transcendence lies in breaking free from our individuality, from our physical embodiment, and from our entanglements in this meaningless world of historical existence, the ordinary, everyday work of a world of work and home. Our humanness is what gets in the way of our transcendence or union with the divine. So we want to become godlike. If I could just look like this image that's in my mind, we don't actually say it's godlike, but you know, like that's why we worship our heroes. <laughs> that's why we like putting, that's why LeBron can be on all these billboards. That's why the most beautiful women are on all these billboards. We don't just get some average Joe. And the average Joe says, okay, let's put you on a billboard. They want to worship someone that we think is divine. But the cross speaks of a God who is entangled with our world, who immerses himself in our tragic history, who embraces our humanity with all of its vulnerability, pain and confusion, including our evil and our death. That's our Jesus. Here is a God who comes to us not as master, but as a servant. That's what holiness looks like. Who stoops to wash the feet of his disciples and to suffer brutalization and dehumanization at the hands of his creatures. That's what undefeatable love looks like. And here's this little part. In identifying with us in our humanity, Christ draws the human into his own divine life. So what this means is that the closer we get to God, that is Jesus Christ, the more human we become, not less. You become more human. You become more beautifully you, not less. Our created physical bodies have a future. In raising Jesus bodily from the death, from death, the Creator was affirming our humanity that this historical embodied existence has a future. I call it a destiny. Your destiny is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Would you step into it with the Holy Spirit? Would you say resurrection life? That's mine. The Julie Janine thing, no thanks. So our salvation lies not in release from this temporal and material world, but in the transformation of it to reflect the will and glory of its creator. The resurrection of Jesus is the creator's promise that death and corruption do not have the last word, whether in the lives of individuals or in whole civilizations. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? Pastor Young in our worship today, he kind of caused us to stop. And he caused us to say, Christ is the rock on which we stand. The resurrected humanity of Jesus Christ is the rock and image that will give us this destiny. It's yours. It can never be taken from you. And every time you forget it and you go back to this kind of old, dumpy, lame way, the Adam way, you know what you could do? You crucify it. You repent. And you believe the gospel again. 
You stand on the resurrected Jesus again. You embrace the image of the resurrected holiness of Jesus again and again. And again, you do it a 20 times and 50 times and a thousand times and you eat that faith again and you'll become holy. Let's pray. Lord, <laughs> it seems like a clever way to say be like Jesus, want to be like Jesus. But there's this cynical inside of us. We really, really do need to want you. Want that image of the true humanity, which is ours in your resurrection. And we are so poor and so drunk and so addicted to this, these, just these little poor visions, these inhuman and less than human visions of the image or whatever image of Adam that's in, in us. And apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit, we, we probably can't even begin to desire what you have to offer us. But help today that your Spirit will break down and break the shackles of our very earthly, worldly, fleshly passions and desires that we may crucify the old Adam image in us. We would run to the holiness of the resurrected Christ, you, Lord Jesus. So give us this, that desire. Pour out your spirit in us. Be life-giving spirit to us, Lord Jesus. And make us life-giving spirit to each other and to our friends and neighbors. So we would live with imperishable, undefiled, eternal love with joy and with peace, holiness, from now and forever. Make us this kind of people as your children. Thank you, Father, for this great gift through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.